Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It's good to see you this morning. The Bible talks a lot about the end of the world, and that's what we're talking about, prophecies about the end of the world. And that's throughout the Bible. That narration there is from the Old Testament prophet of Joel. But today we're studying in the book of Daniel. So would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 10. If you're visiting us for the very first time here at Grace, I want to welcome you. My name is Nathan. And I hope you feel comfortable here at uh, Grace Community Church this morning. Today we're talking about uh, being overwhelmed, being overwhelmed, being stressed out, being in stressful situations. And I know none of you have ever been in a stressful situation. I know none of you have ever been overwhelmed. But at some point in time, you might have a teenager and you start pulling out your hair. At some point in time, you might have parents that drive you crazy. That's a medical term, crazy. At some point in time, you might have a job that you absolutely hate and yet you can't quit because you like to eat. And as soon as those overwhelming, stressful situations come, inevitably, everyone will give you their opinion on how you should handle that overwhelming situation. It, there's a story about that. Uh, there's a man, an old man, a boy, and a donkey, and they're headed out on a journey. An old man, a boy, and a donkey, they're, they're, they're going out on a trip. And the old man is riding the donkey, and the boy is walking beside, and they're headed off on their journey. And not too long later, a person comes up to this trio and says, what are you doing, old man? Hey, you need to let the boy ride, and you can walk, man. And the man said, I, you're absolutely right. I didn't even think of that. I was thinking only about myself. I wasn't thinking about the boy. You are absolutely right. And so they switched places. The boy got on the donkey and the old, man, uh, got, the old man got down and walked along with the donkey and away they went on their trip. And not too long later, someone else came up to them and said, what are you doing, boy? You've got young legs. You need to let the old man ride and you uh, shouldn't be, and you should be walking. And so they both looked at each other and kind of shrugged and said, well, I guess they're right. And so the old man got on the donkey too. And so now you have the old man and the boy on the donkey going on their trip. Someone else comes along and says, what are the two of you doing? You're way too heavy for the donkey. You're hurting the donkey. And the two of them just looked at each other and said, yeah, we didn't even think about that. We we're just thinking of ourselves. We weren't thinking about, about the donkey. And so they got off the donkey. And so you have the man and the boy and the donkey all just riding, all walking together side by side by side. And not too long later, someone comes up to them and says, what are the three of you doing? You have a perfectly good donkey. Someone should be riding the donkey. And that's how the way things go. Whenever we get into a situation that's overwhelming, someone's going to tell you what they think you should do in that situation. And the reason is because you're not the only one going through overwhelming situations. You're not the only one that's stressed out. Everyone else here in the room is experienced in that same thing. Everyone in this room is a pro at being stressed out, and so they're going to tell you what they think you should do about your situation. Well, today, I'm not going to tell you what I would do in a particular situation. Today, I'm going to show you what someone else did in an overwhelming situation and how it worked out for them. And so that's why I asked you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. And today, we're in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 10. We're going to jump right in here in Daniel chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. It says, In the year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, 
and the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. So I quickly want to introduce this vision to you. This vision that Daniel receives encompasses chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12. All the next three chapters are all one vision. And so we're going to be spending the next three weeks in studying this entire vision that he received. Now remember that last week's vision, remember last week's vision about the 77-year periods? And most of those seven-year periods have been accounted for. 69 of those seven-year periods have been accounted for. But there's one seven-year time period that has not been accounted for. That's still in the future, the tribulation, seven years. Do you remember who brought that vision to Daniel? Do you remember that from last week? It was Gabriel. Remember, the angel Gabriel brought that vision to him. But today, it's somebody different. Today, it is Jesus Christ who brings the vision to Daniel. And so this is what Jesus says about this vision in verse 14 of Daniel 10. Jesus says, I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet in the future. Israel is the center of the world. It really always has been, and it will be in the future as well. Israel and the Jews are the center of world politics and of world history. And this vision pertains to Israel. That is your people. Some biblical scholars try to shove the church. When I mean the church, I mean Christians that are alive today. They try to shove Christians into this vision, but Christians, the church that are alive today, and Israel are two separate unique groups of people. And so this vision has to do with Israel. The Bible and the entire world has really centered around this little small nation and this relatively small group of people really throughout history. Uh, through the Jews came the Savior. Through the Jews came Jesus Christ, uh, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And it will be the Jews that eventually will invite him back to come back someday to uh, to planet Earth. And so we've discussed so far already that Satan's goal is to kill every single Jew because he knows that the Jews are going to be the ones that get saved and invite him back to be their Messiah. And so Satan does not want that to happen. And so he has an agenda to kill all the Jews. Now, the Jews are going to get saved and they will invite him back, but that doesn't stop Satan. And so throughout human history, uh, Satan has always been trying to kill the Jews, to wipe them off the face of the earth so they can't do that. We see that all the way back in the Old Testament. Egypt is a fine example of that in the Old Testament of the oppression of the Jews. Today, we're going to see another example of it here in the Old Testament. And then you fast forward into the New Testament, the persecution of the Christian Jews. Uh, during that time, did you know every single apostle, Jewish apostle of Jesus Christ, were all killed, martyred for their faith, uh, in the persecution that was happening in Rome at the time. And so everything that is happening in this vision is all referencing Israel and the Jews 
your people. And it didn't just stop in the New Testament of Satan's desire to kill every single Jew. Still happens in modern times. Satan influenced Hitler, and Hitler just got a little bit further along. He just didn't have enough time to kill all the Jews during the Holocaust either. And even today, there are nations today that are jockeying for position to oppose Israel. And in the future, Satan will, through the Antichrist, attempt to kill every single Jew on planet Earth. And so this vision is regarding Israel, the, that people group, and it's referring to the latter days, meaning, meaning days that weren't 600 B.C. where this was written in days that were going to be later on than that. And every single thing, that, even the things that are happening in Israel today, the, the political environment in Israel today, uh, the, the issues on the West Bank, all of those things are just being adjusted and moved around, and Israel will continue to be the center of world politics even at the end. And so this is who this vision is referring to. And so back to verse 1 real quick, I just want to highlight two other things in verse 1 we need to move on. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, this is four years after the vision that we studied last week, so four years later, from last week. And you might remember from last week that Daniel had done all the math. He had done all the calculation in how long Israel was going to be in captivity. And they only had three years left. And now this vision is four years later. And so now some of those Jews are returning back to Jerusalem we're returning back to rebuild Jerusalem and to, to rebuild the temple. And it says here that Daniel, who was named Belshazzar, Belshazzar. Some of you weren't here when Daniel got named that. He got named Belshazzar when he was 14 years old, when Nebuchadnezzar rolled through the rolled through the countryside and he defeated Jerusalem and took all the young influencers, the young teenagers who were popular, who were uh, the influencers on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. He took them all back 500 miles away to uh, change them, to turn them into Babylonians, to brainwash who they were, think like us, be like us, do like us, worship like us. And so they gave all those, all those people new names, uh, a new education, a new diet, a new home, new everything. And Daniel was one of the very few who didn't assimilate. Just because he's living in Babylon, he didn't become a Babylonian. Now, how do we know that he didn't assimilate? Well, one of the reasons is verses 2 and 3 in this chapter. Look at verse 2. It says, in those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were accomplished. And so Daniel is praying and he's fasting. He's praying so much that he doesn't eat and he doesn't take a bath. That's the ointment part of this. He doesn't eat and he doesn't take a shower because he's so focused on prayer. Now, what is this prayer and fasting about? Why is Daniel praying and fasting to this degree? Well, 
a couple reasons that there's some conflict we see in Ezra about the, the Jews returning back to Jerusalem, and there's conflict with some leaders there, so there's some issues there. But the biggie is Cyrus, King Cyrus, is wanting to implement some old Nebuchadnezzar-style persecution. Brutal stuff. And he's wanting to bring it back up. And so he sends out a, a, a tweet to all of his followers, you know, hey, we're going back to Nebuchadnezzar days, baby, you know, and all those, you know, all the people in his group are like, yeah, we're going, we're going to be brutal. And so he sends that out, and so he starts to pray. It's getting brutal for him. He prays so much that he fasts, meaning he doesn't eat, and he doesn't even shower. And today, this fasting thing, you know, fasting in Christianity is, is often misunderstood by Christians. Uh, Christians generally think that fasting basically is a way to get something that you want from God. That's what fasting is for. The general premise is this, that if a Christian wants something really bad, they really want it bad, they're going to not eat. And they're not going to eat long enough so that God feels sorry for them and gives them what they want. <laughs> that's the general idea of fasting in Christianity today. I know they put some other words to it, but that's a general idea. But when you look at fasting in a concordance, concordance is a book that has a word that's listed in the Bible, and it shows all the references, all the places in Scripture where it is in Scripture, and then there's some advanced uh, concordances that even include the idea, even though the word isn't used. Uh, like in this verse, the word fasting isn't used, but the idea is there where he didn't eat. That's fasting. And so there's some concordances that include the main idea too. When you read all of the verses in scripture about fasting and, and prayer, you learn something about what godly people do in overwhelming stressed out situations. One of the things that godly people do in overwhelming situations is they, they pray so much that they don't eat. That's what happens. And some of that fasting is voluntary, meaning they do it on purpose. Some of it is not voluntary. Sometimes it's voluntary, meaning you might uh, decide, you know, this is really on my mind. I'm not going to eat today. I'm just going to sit in my car and pray about this situation, my teenagers or my work situation. I'd rather pray than eat, and so that's what I'm going to do. So sometimes, biblically, uh, we see in the Bible that godly people fast on purpose, but most of the time, it's not that way. Most of the time, fasting in the Bible is involuntary, meaning people don't do it on purpose. Let me give you an example. Can you remember a time when someone that you knew and you loved when they passed, when they went to heaven, and you were grieving their, their loss? Do you remember that day? Do you remember when you just were so overwhelmed with grief that you just didn't really even feel like eating. You remember that? And you just were praying to God, I, I just need comfort, I'm grieving, please give me some peace in my soul. You're just praying, you just didn't really feel like eating. Other people are eating at the, you know, eating at the buffet at the memorial. You just can't eat, you're just so overwhelmed by it. You remember that day? Well, you were praying and fasting, involuntarily. 
because that was just, because it was so on your mind that you were fasting. Other times, uh, it would be involuntary for another reason. In the first century, in the New Testament, and even in the BCs, making a meal was, was a thing. It was an all-day proposition to, to make dinner. You know, they didn't have Del Taco to just pick it up on the way home. There was no food for less right across the street with food already made. And so it was a long process to make a meal. But if you were so focused on a problem, your teenagers or your parents or work, and you were just focused in prayer, you were drawing close to God in prayer, praying to him, focusing on him, uh, praying for wisdom, for comfort, for help, for his direction, all of these things, and you just ended up not making food. It gets six o'clock time, uh, the family's wondering, hey mom, where's the, where's the dinner? And mom's like, we're not eating tonight, I was praying. Involuntary fasting. And that's what happened to Daniel. Daniel was so overwhelmed by a situation, by these two situations that I've already mentioned, so overwhelmed that he just, it was lower on the priority level, you know? It, it was pray or eat, and he went with pray. It was pray or take a shower in the morning, and he prayed. That's what it was like. He prayed so much in the morning, he realized, uh-oh, it's work time, and he couldn't even take a shower. He stank for three weeks. He didn't take any showers or eat because he was so focused on this thing. And so I know there's a lot of confusion about fasting regarding that and, and how to get something from God, but here's two things that we know biblically about fasting. One thing that we know is fasting is never required in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Fasting is never commanded or required of Christians anywhere in the Bible. Right? The second thing that we learn is fasting is never a way to get something from God. It's never seen that way in Scripture. It's not, neither one of those two things. It is always a voluntary, uh, natural response to in-depth focused prayer, so much so that I'm more interested in praying about this thing because it's crushing my soul, it's crushing my heart, it's crushing my world. So I'm going to pray about it even more than eat. And so that's the kind of fasting that Daniel did. And so when Daniel prayed like that, notice what happened. Look at verse 5. In verse 5, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. Now, I already told you that Jesus is the one that brought him this message, that brought him this vision. And this is the description of Jesus Christ showing up. It's interesting that he uses this phrase, there was a certain man. See that phrase? That's what he said, a certain man is who showed up. Now, whenever Jesus Christ would tell a parable, you know, in the New Testament, when Jesus would share his parables, the, the stories that had a meaningful message behind them in the New Testament, well, in some of those parables, there was a character that had a name of a certain man. And in some of those parables, you might be remembering, oh yeah, there are some parables where Jesus would tell the story and he would say, a certain man, and would go, would go on to tell the story about the certain man. Well, in those parables, that certain man was always God, either God the Father or God the Son, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we see here is he's just labeled as a certain man. But this is Jesus Christ, and he goes on to explain him uh, or describe him just in, it, it's kind of impossible to describe 
pre-incarnate, meaning before he was born in Jerusalem, Jesus. But this is the way Daniel does. His body was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet were like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his words were like the sound of tumult, tumultuousness, loud. And so what happens when Daniel prays like that? where he prays so much that he couldn't eat. He prays so much that he didn't have time for a shower in the morning. He prays so much, it's so focused on his mind, they didn't do any of those things. What happens? Jesus shows up. (laughs) That's what happens. Jesus showed up. Now, was Daniel a special dude where he got special treatment um, because he put extra money in the offering or he did a lot of ministry at church or he was a really nice guy? No. Jesus has been doing this throughout human history. As a matter of fact, in James uh, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, when you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. That is not just a promise for Daniel. That is a promise for every single believer. When you pray like that, when you commit your heart to something because your heart is overwhelmed by it and stressed out by it, and you pray, you go to God like that, God will draw near to you. That is a promise, not just to Daniel, but we see it fulfilled here for Daniel. He actually did show up, and that's exactly what happened. And so uh, now it tells us, Daniel tells us, what it was like when Jesus showed up. In verse 7, Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. Did you know that other people were around? When Daniel saw this vision that we're going to read in the next three weeks, other people were there. But as soon as it got weird, they're like, okay, Daniel, we know you have weird stuff happen to you. We're out. Boom. They're gone. And so now Daniel is left all alone. But when you pray like Daniel does, when you focus, when you draw near to God, that's all he was doing. He was drawing near to God. And it was just such a focus for him. He'd and he didn't really feel like eating for three weeks. He didn't really feel like showering because he was so focused on the issues that were at hand. And notice what Jesus says to him in verse 12. In verse 12, it says, Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. As soon as Daniel started praying, Jesus responded. The very first day that he started praying, Jesus, boom, goes into action. We're going to see what he does in just a second. Goes into action for Daniel. Did Daniel know that Jesus went into action? Now, how do you know that he didn't know it? Because he prayed for three weeks. (laughs) Daniel just kept praying. He just kept praying and praying and praying until he saw an answer that he knew was an answer, whether he wanted the answer or he'd like the answer or not. He just kept praying for three weeks until he would see an answer. That was Daniel's style. The the vision that he saw last last week, and remember, he prayed for 13 years before he saw any thing that would answer the questions that he had in those prayers for 13 years he prayed waiting for an answer for three weeks he waited for now on the first day of all those prayers God promises to hear a believer 
But his timing is just not our timing when it comes to him responding in a way that we see it. So I know we pray for like two days and he doesn't answer it and we say, oh, Jesus, not listening. God didn't answer my prayers. I prayed for two whole days and nothing even happened. Well, Jesus, could, Jesus doesn't even need two days. Jesus could respond in two milliseconds or it could be three weeks or it could be 13 years. We just keep praying. Just like that. We just, if it's on our mind, if it's on our heart, if it's stressful to us, if it's overwhelming to us, we keep praying, we keep taking it to God, we keep drawing near to God, and we allow him to respond. But on the very first day, something happened, we just didn't see it, and he didn't see it for three weeks. So what happened, verse 13? What did Jesus do as soon as Daniel prayed? But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. So wait there just a minute. Remember, this is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who is speaking here, and he's saying, I was standing in, in battle with this person named the, the prince of, of the kingdom of Persia. Now, who's that? Throughout the next few verses, you're gonna see the word prince come up quite often. And whenever you see the word prince come up here in the rest of the chapter, it is always referring to an angel, an angel. Now, you know that there are good angels, meaning angels that are in heaven today that are directed by God. And there are angels that are living on earth that are directed by Satan. You would know them as demons, but they're simply angels that are directed by Satan. And so you know that there are both of them. And so this is one of those two, either a good one or a bad one, that is the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And Jesus has been withstanding or fighting against this angel. And so do you think this was one of the angels from heaven or this is one of the angels that is directed by Satan named a demon? What do you think? All right. Yeah, Jesus isn't gonna fight against his own angels, okay? It was a Satan-directed angel that was placed to oppress Persia. And at that point, it was King Cyrus. This angel was, was coercing the, the, the king of Persia, and we get introduced to him in verse one, his name is Cyrus, and the demon is encouraging him to bring back some of the Nebuchadnezzar punishments, some of the brutality that Nebuchadnezzar had to bring back those punishments on the Jews. And Jesus shows up and says, yeah, I know. I know, I know about that. But there's more to it than that, Daniel. There, there's more to it than just sending out the, the Twitter because that's what Cyrus did. Cyrus just sent, sent out the Twitter to everyone. Hey, Neb is back, baby. Let's go at it with the Jews again. You know, and all of his base were like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna vote for you again, Cyrus. And as soon as Daniel sees that tweet, he's like, oh my goodness. This is gonna be brutal for us. And so he goes right to God in prayer. That's what he does. He doesn't start a, a, an uprising. He doesn't start a march against King Cyrus. He doesn't go on to change.org and, and set up a, a website to try to get Cyrus uh, ousted from his office and, and from the political party. He just goes to God in prayer. 
He is dealing with a geopolitical issue that is going to affect him, that's going to affect his people in a very brutal way. And the very first thing that he does is he responds in prayer. And Jesus says, hey, there's more to it than that. It's not just Cyrus. There, 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 is, there are demonic forces behind the scenes that that I've been dealing with. And so Jesus has been fighting this demon that has been assigned to Cyrus in Persia. How long has he been fighting this demon? What does it say in this verse? How long? 21 days. How long is that? Three weeks. Look at verse two of Daniel 10. Okay, verse two says, in those days I, Daniel, had been mourning and obviously praying for three entire weeks. As soon as Daniel saw the tweet, he went to prayer, and as soon as he started praying, Jesus started fighting. He's giving him the timeline and exactly how it worked out, even though you didn't see it, even though you couldn't see through this thin veil of, of th- this other supernatural world. You can't see it, but right now, I have been fighting this prince, this demon that is oppressing or impressing or forcing Cyrus to implement these new laws. And so that's what Daniel does. He just goes to God and he prays. He prays so much that he can't eat. He prays so much that he doesn't take a shower for three whole weeks until Jesus comes back with a response. Now, if Jesus didn't come back in three weeks, if Jesus came back in three years for a response, how long would Daniel have prayed? He would have prayed for three years. We've already seen him do it before and that's what he would have done here. Then Jesus says in verse 14, now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision pertains to the days yet future. Jesus just comes and says, I want you to know that there is a supernatural battle happening. There is more to it than you know. There's another dimension that exists that you can't see. You know, when you blow a dog whistle and you can't really hear the whistle, but the dogs go crazy. Yeah, like that. The whistle's real. The dogs know that it's real. The dogs can hear, but you just can't. There's another dimension, super, meaning beyond the nature that you can photograph, beyond the nature that you can see right now, there's another dimension, supernatural, that's what the term means, just beyond nature that you can't see. And Jesus says there is an amazing battle that's happening right now. And so then Daniel's response in verse 15 is, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. That's pretty much what you do when you find out really weird stuff like this. Now, you've kind of already been introduced to these ideas throughout time because we have the Bible, but this was Daniel was hearing all these things about battles supernaturally in this other dimension for the very first time. And that kind of makes the rest of our dreams sound kind of sissy, you know. Okay, Jesus, could you also fix my car for me too? I know you're fighting right now, Satan and all that, but I need my car fixed real quick. It It kind of changes our perspective a little bit about the things that we're praying about and how much we're praying about those things, knowing what Jesus is doing and and angels are doing uh, behind the scenes all the time. And if that isn't weird enough for you, it gets even weirder. Verse 20. In verse 20 it says, Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia, So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, 
I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is none who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. These two verses are, are like the, the supernatural live PD. Have you seen live PD on TV? Have you seen that show? This is like live PD supernatural version for the uninitiated. Live PD is this, it's, it's like cops. You remember the cops TV show? Uh, old school cops, they'd put people in a police car with a video camera and they'd videotape what they get, you know, police running around. And so they'd take all those videotapes back, they'd put it all together in a half an hour show where you watch police arrest people and kick in doors and all that kind of stuff. Well, Live PD is like the modern upgrade to that. They still put people in police cars with their cameras, but now the cameras have in the back of them a wireless uh, transmitter. It's a cell uh, antenna that transmits live the action that's happening back to the studio. And so when you're watching Live PD, you are actually watching someone get arrested like in real time. And so they have these cameras spread out all over the United States. So eight different departments, police departments throughout the United States. And so they keep bouncing between, so there's always action. But when you're watching Live PD, it is live right now. And what's cool about Live PD is, you know, people know that Live PD is being filmed in their city. Right now they're filming up in Salinas, California. That's one place where they're filming. And so what's so fun is some people are watching it like in Salinas, and they look at, they, they notice, I know that intersection. And then they know the people that they're watching on TV get arrested. And so sometimes people drive over just to get on TV and to hassle the cops who are arresting their friends. I love Live PD. It's so fun. You got to watch it. This is my sales pitch for Live PD. They still even, they even do reruns sometimes, but it was live when it was recorded, obviously. So Live PD is so fun for all the, it's happening right now, you know, up in Salinas, when it's daylight here, it's daylight on TV. When it gets dark up there, then it's dark on Live PD. It's so good. So this, these two verses are like Live PD, supernatural version. This wasn't recorded in the past. This isn't going to happen in the future. This is, Jesus is saying, Live PD, I am fighting demons right now. It should, it's just in a dimension that is just, you, just, it's, you just can't see into that dimension. The, the video cameras just can't go into that dimension, but I'm telling you about it. It's happening right now. And so he, right now he's fighting the prince, the demon that, that, that Satan has assigned to Persia, and the king right now obviously is, is Cyrus. But then he mentions the prince of Greece. And that might not mean anything to you. We've already been through Daniel and we already know the, some things about Greece. But when this was written, Greece wasn't even a thing. It, it wasn't even a, a anything. And so Jesus is saying there's more coming. And the rest of this chapter, or the rest of this vision, chapters 11 and 12, are all about Greece what happens in Greece to the Jews. And one of the things that happens in Greece to the Jews is this uprising of this up-and-comer, Antichus Epiphanes the, the fourth, And he's like a, he's a precursor to the, to 
the tribulation. He, he, he does things that the Antichrist is going to do. He's like a mini-me, a mini-me Antichrist. And the next two chapters are all about what mini-me Antichrist is going to do because it will be exactly what happens in the seven-year tribulation, even just worse. And so what this, ver- this verse tells us a lot of things about the supernatural world. One, that Satan assigns specific angels or demons to every nation around the world. And their goal is to press upon the leaders of those nations Satan's goals for the world. Does that answer some questions about the way the world is going the way that it is? That's what this is saying. Ultimately, with the purpose to kill the Jews, that is the ultimate long-term purpose here. But it also tells us in verse 21 that God does the same thing. Look at verse 21. However, I will tell you that I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael your prince. Did you know that God does the same thing? That God assigns angels to every single nation in the world to to fight this spiritual battle in this other dimension. And what is the name of the angel that is fighting on behalf of Israel? Who is it? Michael, you know him. He's the archangel. Michael the archangel is is your prince. Remember, we go back to that very first verse. This is about your people. This is about Israel. The angel that is assigned to Israel by God to fight on their behalf is Michael the archangel. The United States has an angel. What's his name? I have no idea. I don't know. All around the world. God has angels fighting in this supernatural battle behind the thin veil, this dimension of super beyond natural things. And Daniel is learning all these things for the, for the very first time. Did you know in Revelation it even says that churches have angels? That God assigns angels to every church in Revelation 2. What's the name of our angel? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just glad that God does that. And when there are things that are going on in our church that worry or concern or are overwhelming or stressful, we pray to God. We don't pray to the angel. We don't pray to angels. We pray to God because God is the one who goes and deals with it using his angels. Who knows how he does it? But there is an angel that is fighting on Grace Community Church's behalf. And I'm thankful that that is the case. And so now the next two chapters, chapters 11 and 12, are all about what happens in, in Greece and Antichus Epiphanes being a picture of the future Antichrist. Now, so you're not going to want to miss the next two weeks, but there is something that we can learn from what we have here today already. I'd already mentioned to you that um, people are always going to give you their ideas on what you should do in stressful, overwhelming situations. That's what, that's what we do. We tell each other what we should do. And I bet that the natural reaction that you want to, that, that comes to you when you think of how do I solve this issue is usually something for you to solve it. 
for you to fix it. This is, what, this, is, this is some of the recommendations that people will give to you. Here's what you need to do. You need to go to here, to here, to here, to do that, to talk to that person, to do these things, and do that, and do that, and do that. That's what they're going to tell you. But I'm here to tell you that most often your natural reaction, your first reaction in a stressful, overwhelming situation is not going to be the right one. It's not going to be the right one. It's not going to be God's will for you. You know, as parents, when, when our kids get hurt, even if it's by natural consequences, meaning the teacher at school gives them a hard time because they didn't do their homework, we want to protect our kids. But, and so we jump in there and try to solve the issue and protect our kids from the natural consequences that come, but that is the wrong thing to do. Th- those things that your kids are learning, whether they're young, whether they're teenagers, whether they're grown adults and they're experiencing natural consequences of their bad decisions, we need to allow God to train them through those natural consequences instead of jump in and, and fix it. And all sorts of things that we want to fix. We want to say, you, you have a job that you don't like, you're not getting paid enough, I'm just going to quit and move somewhere else and get a new job. I'm going to bet that's probably not the best decision. You know what Daniel would say? How he, what he would tell you, he would say, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I would, I would go to God and I'd pray about that. I'd go pray about it. I would pray so much that I would forget to eat that day. I would pray so much in the morning before I went to work that I ran out of time and I couldn't take a shower before I go. That's what he would do. Now, Daniel wasn't dealing with kids and he wasn't dealing with those issues. He was dealing with political issues. The king that was enacting these, uh, these uh, things unilaterally, because he could, he was the king. And it was really going to hurt the Jews terribly. And so that's what he did politically. When in politics, you go to God in prayer. Last, um, last prime time, so our last Wednesday night set of 10 sessions, um, Pastor Chuck and I, we spent some time going through and answering all of your questions. A lot of you had good questions about living, uh, living a Christian life, and so we answered those biblically. But one of those questions stand out to me because it's really the same question that Daniel was asking and answering. One of the, one of the questions was, was this one. As the 2020 presidential campaign gets into gear, what are the responsibilities of Christians in dealing with politics? That's what Daniel was dealing with. Remember, one of the main themes of Daniel is just because you're living in Babylon doesn't mean that you become a Babylonian. Just because you live in Babylon doesn't mean you become the world that's around you. Just because CNN and Fox News and MSNBC is running wall to wall on this, wall of criticizing everybody, and everybody, every politician, threatening everybody about what's gonna happen if you vote for this politician, wall to wall, just because that we live in a place that run wall to wall politically doesn't mean that we need to as Christians. We don't have to, but most Christians do. Most Christians do. I have have a a few friends. They are like, they are sick. It's so agitated about political things. There's there's one friend, he's so mad at some politicians that haven't even been voted in yet. They haven't enacted any policy at all. And he's like, he's never met them. They've never met him. He's like, I write about these people. And they're so, you know, talk radio, obviously, all the time in his car, CNN all the time on the TV at home, you know, all the time. Just, like, just stressed 
about this can't this this whole thing i mean he's already all 2020 and you know he knows who he's voting for and if it's not i'm moving to canada stuff like that you know but just because you live in babylon that's the way our world our culture does it doesn't mean that you need to do it like that you know what daniel would say he'd say i'd pray about that i'd spend so much time praying about the presidential campaign that i forgot to eat some days because it's so uh, oppressive to me. I would, I would pray so much in the morning about that that, that I'd forget to take a shower and, and realize, oh man, I gotta go to work. That's what Daniel would say. Daniel would say, relieve the, the, turn off the talk radio, turn off CNN. I don't have any cable, it's so great. Uh, the, only, the only news I get is when I go to the computer and I look for it, you know. Turn that stuff off and spend time in prayer regarding these things because that's what Daniel did. And as soon as Daniel fervently drew near to God, he found out that Jesus has been fighting wars and battles against demons as soon as he started praying. That is way better than us complaining and uh, us trying to start some uh, movement to, to get someone uh, impeached out of office and, and change.org and march in the streets and signs and a Facebook posts. Pray about it. Give it to God. Allow God to work out those geopolitical issues. And Jesus shows up to Dan and says, I am. I'm working it out. Might not be the way that you imagine but I'm working these things out. Remember, this book is written to Jews who needed to know that God was going to work things out. And in the last three chapters, Jesus, their Messiah, shows up to Daniel and says, I am fighting demons right now on your behalf. And they must have read that and said, oh, that is so good to know. So how do we answer a question like this? presidential campaign and the politics that are surrounding it for the next year. <laughs> well, do what Daniel did. Draw near to God. Draw near to him. And, and the promise is that he will draw near to you. But the answer is in everything in your life. Some of you are junior high or high school students and you just got to a new school and it's hard to go to a new school. And there's only one little group of friends that are willing to welcome you in, but they want you to smoke this or drink that or cheat in that area, you know, give them some of your answers on your tests or, or kiss that girl or do those things with that boy. And you're really fighting. What do I do? I just want friends at school. Daniel would say, you know what I do? You know what I did when I was 14 in Babylon? New school. I prayed. I, 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 I didn't become like them. I allowed God to work those things out. Some of you are in marriages that are really hard to go back to. Every single day when you get home from work, you wonder, do I really wanna go back to that? You might have in your mind ways that you're gonna fix it and solve it. Have you spent time praying so much so that you didn't eat lunch that day? Just praying to God for wisdom, for help, for direction, for involvement in that situation. Many of you have kids, whether young or middle age or a little older. And when they get themselves into trouble, do you want to go in and solve it and fix it for them? Or do you just spend time praying for them? 
Daniel would say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that, there's a lot to learn here in these next two chapters. I know you're going to enjoy the next two weeks. I hope you don't miss them. But I hope you don't miss this. I want you to draw near to God in these stressful situations. Now, some of you, or a few of you even, may not have ever put your faith and your trust in this Jesus. That is the first way that you draw near to God, is by putting your faith faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. You know, the general message of the Bible is God is holy, people are not right? I mean, that's the general, over. God is holy, God is righteous, we are not because of our sin. Our sin separates us from God, not just today, but for all of all eternity in a place called hell. But God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That's why in his love and his grace, he sent Jesus Christ to solve that problem. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He died on the cross for your sin. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Easter Sunday was a real event in history. And today, he, he is living in heaven, and he wants, to, he, he wants to draw near to you. And today could be a day where you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, where he rescues your soul for all of eternity. He washes your sins away. And then he can draw near to you as you pray to him about all these issues that are going on in your life. So maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time to draw near, and I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that. Would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? All of you, whether you know you're a believer or not, It just creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. And in this moment of of quietness where nothing else is happening, you might want to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And here's what you do. You don't have to say anything out loud. God already knows your heart. He knows what's on your mind. He can read your mind. He knows your intentions. You can't convince God or lie to God. He knows your heart. But if you know that you have sinned and you need to be rescued by a savior. You could say this, just in the quietness of your own heart, you could say, dear God, I, I know that I have sinned and I'm separated from you. I know that you are holy and I am not. And so I put my, I put my faith in this Jesus. I believe what that pastor says about who Jesus is. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he rose from the grave. I believe that he is in heaven today and so I put my faith I put my trust in him I need him to wash my sin away and with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed if you prayed that prayer the immediate promise is that the third person of the trinity we haven't mentioned him yet that's the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and will help you live your life honoring to God will will, will help bring you comfort when you pray that's what the Holy Spirit's for you already have hope in heaven for eternity. Many of you are already Christians today, and that's a wonderful thing. But today could be a day where you are realizing that um, you've been trying to do it on your own. And you've been trying to force things, and you've not been praying and allowing God to work things out. And so... This could be a prayer that you could pray to God. You could say, God, I, I'm overwhelmed in this situation. And you just mention it. Mention what the situation is. God knows what it is. God, I'm overwhelmed in this situation. And would you please help here? Would you please help me know what to do here? Would you please make a way and and work things out here?
And the promise is that as you draw near to God every day with the same passionate prayer, God, I'm overwhelmed with this. Would you please work this out? The promise is that he will draw near to you. He might not answer right away. You might not know for another 13 years. But the promise is that he will draw near to you today. God, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the promises that are in your Bible. And we thank you for um, documenting these events in history that uh, we can identify with and bring us encouragement. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.